Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Nick Perez, the Chief Technology Officer for Cloud Practice at Thundercat Technology, and Brad Montgomery, the Director of Federal Presales for Data Protection at Dell Technologies. Gentlemen, it's good to have you both with us today. Thank you. And let's talk about multi-cloud data security. We'll get right into it. That's our topic today. And this is a topic on the top mind of so many federal practitioners because they do have multiple clouds and hybrid setups. And you're saying that those that are dealing with multi-cloud have some weaknesses in their security setups. And really what they're doing may not be sufficient in this hypersensitive era. Tell us more about that. So uh, thanks, Tom. I guess I'll kick things off. Um, so I think the, the number one topic to cover is the fact that data protection is a key requirement for all agencies to consider. With the rise of um, insider attacks, cyber threats, hostile nation states, and of course, ransomware, this is top of mind for all of our customers, regardless of agency. Now, when it comes to a multi-cloud approach, one of the challenges that I see is the fact that customers who have been deploying data protection on premise have tried to port that same style solution to a cloud. Now, the challenge then becomes the capability may not exist for the workloads that they're best trying to protect. And also the efficiencies and the cost savings may not be there because the solution itself is not designed for cloud workloads. All right, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more there. And uh, I mean, just to add act piece of it, the, the challenge is that it's different between each of the cloud providers. What the cloud providers provide out of the box is different and how the industry is supporting them and enabling their solutions to, you know, to integrate and provide a comprehensive solution is, is fundamentally different, right? So it's not the agency's fault, right? So they haven't done anything wrong. It's just that they've invested in procedures and policies on premise that have evolved over many, many years, right? And they are now having to adapt those and ultimately identify gaps and augment those current solutions differently as they adopt each cloud provider and SaaS solutions. So it's not as simple, unfortunately, as receiving an ATO uh, for a particular, you know, a solution on one cloud provider and then just assuming that you can then receive the same ATO for the same solution on a different cloud provider. So if I can make an analogy to maybe clarify this even further, in the same way that deploying applications in the cloud is really a whole different animal than it is deploying them on your own servers and your own mainframes, they haven't made the bridge yet to say that, well, the way we deploy security, the way we did it on our mainframes and servers also needs to evolve as we deploy it in the cloud era, correct? Good way to put it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, and I, would, I would also say that I think that there's oftentimes a, uh, a bit of education that needs to happen. Maybe an assumption is made that once a organization, you know, ports an application to the cloud, that the cloud platform itself is going to give them everything that they need from a resilience and a data protection standpoint. And that's not necessarily true. Right. And, you know, as Nick said, you know, every cloud platform has different capabilities associated with it. So customers really need to understand their SLAs and understand what they're getting from the cloud platform that they're moving to. You know, in most cases, we find that, you know, the SLAs that they are able to meet with an on-premise solution, they don't know that they don't necessarily have that when they port their applications up to a uh, public cloud target. Yeah, that's a good point, because uh, the 
cloud platforms have long catalogs of services and they get longer and longer. And maybe the issue is that doesn't mean what you precisely need is part of that. And it also means that there may not be interoperability for one solution that you do choose from a cloud that works in another cloud, another cloud provider. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, if I could add there, so I use the analogy all the time of the rental car business, right? So if you own or lease a car, you can make changes. If you own the car, you can make a, a, you know, a multitude of changes. If you lease the car, you know you can make some changes. You can put some tint on the windows, but fundamentally, you really don't change any performance. And then when you're in the cloud business, you're in the rental business, right? So you're taking like a rental car, you're really fundamentally doing nothing other than driving it and I mean, maybe do a car wash if you're really getting out there. So that's that's, that's the way you got to think is it, I'm moving to a rental model and the, what ability do I have to make modifications when I'm in the cloud? And can you give us maybe an illustration of how, say, a particular security service you might have on premise may or may not be there in the cloud and what you have to look for to make sure you're getting that functionality? Yeah, I'll, I'll, one of the uh, one of the applications I was thinking of is Exchange, right? We all use Exchange for for uh, for mail. Um, and uh, in an on-premise deployment of Exchange, there's a number of tools that provide for availability of the application. But at the same time, I don't know any Exchange admin out there today that would not also couple data protection along with those native tools. Now, a number of our customers, especially in the Fed space, are moving to uh, SaaS applications like M365, right? Certainly simplifies life for a number of our customers. Um, and, that, and that platform provides a number of those same resiliency tools. But at the same time, it's not going to provide the same level of data protection that you had on premise with backup and recovery. So therefore, you know, even if you, you, you even if you are moving up to M365 for Exchange, you still need to make sure that you have that data protection to meet the SLAs that you agreed to for your on-premise solution. Nick, anything to add? Yeah, I would. I would mostly say, you know, the cloud providers are there. You know, it, it, to provide a one-size-fits-all solution, mm -hmm. right? So you've got one of the core benefits of it is the the multi-tenancy, the way that they have this unlimited resource pooling. So they have they need to be able to focus on one kind of type of fit. But it's just not applicable in the federal landscape, right? So there, I mean, there's cloud-native backup, right? There is cross-region backup. But it really, it fundamentally, it's it, it's easy to back things up or archive, but it's very difficult to re the recovery piece is is the hard part. Most of our customers are relying on you know traditional, not out of the box solutions to be able to successfully recover from you know data loss an event or whatever whatever has occurred. It's easy to put things in cold or long term archive. It's just so much harder to bring that stuff back in a timely manner. And when you're talking about something like Office 365 or one of the other email clients that agencies have mostly adopted, I don't think very many agencies are not in the cloud now with email. What you hear them talking about is the idea, okay, what do we do next? We got to move up the food chain, if you will, in software as a service applications, maybe adapt our business processes to public offerings that are out there commercially in SAAS, which means it might be a problem that's getting a little bit more critical as time goes on. Absolutely. Yeah, agreed. And I, I love the call out to, you know, to, to, to SaaS applications, you know, right? You know, the, the, the software as a service has really, you know, changed the paradigm for, for data protection. Um, one of the biggest things that it brings to our customers is ease of use. And un unfortunately, one of the 
challenges of backup and recovery on premise is just the complexity that it, that it leads to. Um, you know, a, a backup environment can scale to much larger than, than, than the production environment, and that drags resources, costs, cycles, upkeep, and so forth. You know, when you shift that up into a cloud-native workload, workspace, you are able to provide the same level of capability, but a lot of the challenges of deployment um, are managed by the cloud provider itself. So, so a huge fan of SaaS applications, I think for where it fits, right? Obviously, you know, not all customers can move to a, a, a public cloud-based uh, protection methodology, but for where it fits, it's a great way to reduce costs and add simplicity to a customer's environment. And also Absolutely. what you say too has to do with that whole idea of moving away from capital expenditures in the first place. So why would you want to start building them back up, rebuilding data centers for the purposes of backup? Yeah, I mean, the equipment is expensive, right? That investment in exquisite tape libraries, the storage, just the fundamentally the hassle of, of moving tapes, right? I mean, extremely complicated offsite locations and just, and then obviously you happen to pull them back. But yeah, I mean, we mentioned just mentioned cost, right? So obviously, uh, SaaS is multi-tenant, right? But the the key about when you're doing these long-term archive protecting data, you typically pay on demand, right? As you protect items, your costs are directly in line with the amount of storage that you're requiring. And you know, you know let, we, we joke that it goes up and it goes down, but obviously, very, very, very few the amount of data being created on a daily basis. It, it never fundamentally goes down, but it's more the compression and the dedupe that gets better. The technology gets better, right? But the, the thing about the SaaS environment is is that they're constantly evolving. They're constantly, you know, they're in the cloud. They're typically FedRAMP certified, so there's a level of security, and they're being added to. If there's a new SaaS provider, very, very quickly, your your data protection provider is adding that and making it available to you. You don't need to buy a new tool. You don't need to be a, buy a new, you know, a whole new set of equipment, or as we said, a bunch of new capex expenditure. So you have a very predictable type costs based upon what the amount of amount of items you're trying to protect. So explain then the cloud model for data protection, the software as a service model for data protection. How does it look architecturally and how does it interact with maybe other parties? You've got several possible providers operating as services in the cloud, as software on demand. How do they interact? How do you set it all up? Well, I think it depends on the application that you you choose, of course. Um, but you know, you know, most SaaS providers are going to be targeting other SaaS applications for protection. So you know, consider all of the uh, you know cloud native workloads that the federal government has moved towards. You know, M three sixty five we've already called out, but a fair number of customers are also moved to Salesforce as well. And the ability of a SaaS application to be multi cloud to protect. Um, workloads that are based out of M365 or out of Azure or out of Amazon really simplifies data protection across all those multi-cloud environments. And, you know, a, a key benefit, again, I'm going to come back to simplicity, you know, having a single management console to administer and provide, you know, even SLAs across all your data sets, regardless of what cloud that they live on. And again, I, I want to make sure that we're not leaving behind, you know, the on-premise environments as well, because as much as customers have moved to the cloud for a number of workloads, you know, we have found that a hybrid approach is also very prevalent. So having a common interface to protect, you know, both the cloud native workloads, as well as the um, environments that still exist on premise is absolutely key for customers to consider as they're looking to modernize their data protection. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I think, I think obviously the holy grail has always been this, this single pane of glass, right? Mm -hmm. 
I think the cloud is, yes, I would say been around for 15 years now, but when you look back on traditional on-premise, you would have, you know, I'd have a data protection for databases. I'd have a data protection for my virtual machines, mm -hmm. right? And I'd have data protection for other areas like, you know, uh, things that maybe you've backed up. So you may have multiple solutions and you not get that kind of single view or a single set of procedures that you can to recover. So now that we're 15 years on, the market has, uh, has adapted and the market is now bringing solutions that are that single pane of glass, that do work across multiple providers. And I give you that. I do have customers that are utilizing, you know, Amazon and backing things up into Azure for continuity, for example. So these, these things are there, the APIs are now, the providers are providing it and the market and the industry is responding appropriately. One thing that I wanna to add to what Nick just mentioned is best practices when it comes to data protection. We are talking about multi-cloud. When you consider you know, the best practice for protecting data, you, know, you wanna make sure that it is decoupled from the source. So this is a perfect use case for a multi-cloud environment. You don't want to have your, your backups on the same array as your production. You don't want to have your data protection in the same cloud as your production. So this capability of multi-cloud and being able to administer across a, um, a single pane of glass is really a strong um, uh, uh, capability that uh, uh, SaaS solutions can provide. And also having everything in the cloud to cloud, so to speak, doesn't that also reduce what I think in the DOD they call hairpinning of traffic coming back to some centralized facility of the agency and back out to the cloud, which has its own costs and, and vulnerabilities associated with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that has happened recently just across the industry you know, for, in the federal government, we were so so fixated on the cloud when it first came out. Every single agency had a cloud first mantra. And inevitably that led to the cloud repatriation. Now, you know, one some people think that that means that agencies are wholesale leaving the cloud. I'm absolutely not true. You know, rather it is a shift in priorities so that they better understand how to leverage the cloud to support their workloads and their missions and, and their agencies. And that's why now you have the the cloud smart approach, you know, cloud is still very much a part of a agency's uh, modernization efforts, but we're much more um, precise on how we're leveraging it. Data protection is a great use case for it. Uh, if I could add to that, I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot more of cloud technologies being brought on premise. So many mm -hmm. of our customers have, you know, en enclosed environments. They don't have access to the internet. They can't actually somewhat use some of these cloud provider solutions, but the providers are now providing at edge boxes, you know, devices that run in premise. You can wheel in racks or you can wheel in certain numbers of views of equipment, but they, are, they give you your own region. They give you those cloud technologies. You bring them and you use them and you consume them, but completely in that locked in environment. All right, and that gets to the question of ransomware. All of the recent reports show ransomware is just a worsening problem, even though it hasn't been in the news as much. But if you look at the data reports, it's costing more. There's more instances of it. How can we protect cloud-based resources, applications, data from this ransomware threat? Yeah, there's well, so first off, there's no shortage of... Um, best practices and advice from notable agencies such as FBI, Gartner, uh, DHS on how to remediate uh, against ransomware. Now, the easy thing is that they're all fairly similar in what the recommendations are. Number one, back up your data, right? If it's in production, it, it can't be in production unless you protect it, all right? Um, now, the challenge then becomes the, the, the bad actors are getting quite good 
at targeting backups. If you have no backups, you have no recourse to re recover your data. So we see backup being targeted as the first step of a ransomware or a cyber attack. So additional capabilities need to be added. Um, there's a number of best practices around there. Um, so you want to be able to uh, apply capabilities uh, such as quarantine in case you need to wall off data that has been uh, found to be infected by malware. You also want to have capabilities like snapshots. You know, one of the great points that Nick made was about the recovery of data. You need to be able to get back online quickly and you need to be able to have that intelligence to know where you can roll back to to get your data operational again quickly. And if I may, I'll just give a couple of you know, tips that we're giving our customers about how to protect workloads, you know, in proactively. So mm -hmm. what, what Brad just mentioned was a lot of stuff you can do, po you know, after the fact. What we're doing right here is obviously least privilege, right? So setting yourself up with that particular mindset right from the start that every single asset, what privileges does it need? Right. Um, rotating keys and secrets. There's now tools out there that can actually help you, particularly provide you know ephemeral elements. These keys that only last for a period of time, so it can minimize anyone's kind of access. You don't have passwords or uh, keys that are available long term. They're actually kind of for obviously a very very short period of time. And then just the whole zero trust, right? So OMB did a great mandate. They've asked every federal agency to kind of come up with a plan of what they're going to do of how they're going to implement zero trust, right? There's some great NIST reference architectures there, but I would highly recommend anyone that doesn't already have a zero trust plan or an assessment going on today to identify some of their kind of core mission critical systems, you should absolutely have that before you kind of, you know, you're actually, you're mandated to actually implement some solutions, right? That you can actually come up with something that makes sense to yourself. But, you know, using automation, right, to minimize human errors and misconfiguration, that's a key aspect of that. I mean, we didn't do any of that on premise previously. We did it to kind of, you know, help known processes, but it was a new, doing that from an automation first is, is certainly a new phenomenon for evolved out of the cloud. But You've got these visit, you know, you've got these vulnerability management tools and the ways you can spot things like ransomware or people that are getting, you know, nefarious actors are getting onto your service, but you have to adapt those particular tools, right? I, I think that one of the core benefits, I like cloudy benefits, right, is you've got this element of I spin up a resource, I utilize it, and then I spin it down. So it's an ephemeral nature of it, right? So adapting and utilizing your current tools so they can see those ephemeral things that are happening where we're bursting and we're, we're sh shrinking, we're launching a container and we're changing it, or we're doing a worker node, you know, being able to adapt the tools, because a lot of them is it just happened and you didn't even notice it. It, it wasn't until someone is like a log weeks later sure. before you, you know, you've got an event that's happened and now you're going back weeks in time to figure out when mm -hmm. it occurred. Right. So adapting what you currently have and doing that assessment, understanding what you actually have, what where, what the mission critical ones. That's what they believe the ones we focus on are the mission critical applications. And it's also the somewhat the tier two and the tier three applications, the ones that we may not be looking at as closely that are, you know, a low hanging fruit for somebody that has nefarious you know, intent. And a final question, there are those applications or those agencies that can't quite go to the commercial cloud, at least for part of their resources. It might be top secret, and that's mm -hmm. still not a fully developed market. Or for some other reason, they just feel they have to be on premise because it's their agency family jewels. Any ideas for their best practice in this mostly cloud era? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I think, you know, one of the points that we've made 
you know, throughout this discussion is, you know, what you do on premise should also be applicable to the cloud and vice versa. So as I said before, you must have data protection, right? And this goes in, in, in concert with all the other points that Nick made when it comes to zero trust, um, you know, the defenses on the, on the outside and so forth. Uh, but, you know, from a backup and recovery perspective, this is the storage of last resort. This is what happens if your defenses are only 99.99% effective and that one bad actor gets in. You have to be able to have that backup plan, and you also have technologies that can aid um, a or augment a backup approach, like a cyber vault. You know, uh, this is a you know, I think of it as an automated air-gapped uh, gold copy of your critical data that's invisible to the production environment. So, in the event that the worst-case scenario happens and your backups are affected and your production data is, effect is affected, you still have the one last gold copy that you can recover quickly from as well as have the analytics to understand the source of the cyber attack so that you can remediate that on the production side. Nick, final word? I mean, I think it's, you know, there's there so many, you know, kind of centers of excellence across the federal government. There's so many resources to tap into, right? There's so many checklists that we've been provided. So yeah, we, you know, you identify your sensitive data, right? You, how is that data being accessed? Right. You've assigned some policies to it. Ultimately, you know, fundamentally you encrypt it. Right. But the security measures that we're doing right, are designed to protect the company's assets. Right. And to make proprietary information. Right. So it doesn't get into the wrong hands. But I think the key aspect here is as we evolve and as an agency adopts cloud, hybrid cloud or just those cloud technologies on premise is really the compliance. So mm -hmm. is the compliant measures right. Are they are they helping the organization to be more secure? Right. By providing a set of those, you know, clear frameworks that, and again, your own internal checklists and then ultimately your own agency's best practices. Right. To re re reduce your risk. Luckily, there are cloud management tools that now exist. Right. That, uh, that run in a, in a cloud environment and or on premise. That's the beauty that will constantly analyze your environment. Uh, against, you know, they actually evaluate your environment and your controls against compliance frameworks, whether it be PSI, NIST, CISA, you know, they actually are adding to those compliance frameworks all the time and incorporate them. And then they enable you to add your own controls. Right? Many even provide the automation to enforce that compliance. And that's the key aspect of it. They don't just send an alert to one of your SIM or one of your other logging tools. Say, hey, someone should take a look at that. They actually enforce it real line in time and or and alert so that someone can see that something's happening. Well, thank you for a provocative and idea-filled discussion. Today's guests have been Nick Perez. He is the Chief Technology Officer for Cloud Practice at Thundercat Technology and Brad Montgomery, the Director of Federal Presales for Data Protection at Dell Technologies. I'm Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. Let's go back to the studio now for more on the industry exchange cloud. <laughs> 